Let us give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And may the Lord bless the uh, reading and the preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, the one who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth. We pray that you would now sweeten this word on our lips and in our hearts, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us and that we might honor you more along the path. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I I, I sure do appreciate from my heart when um, I'm introduced as a friend of the congregation because I certainly feel like you are my friends. You know, it's always nice to have reciprocal relationship. Uh, it's nice to come and see familiar faces and be uh, greeted by you all. But I must also say I really enjoy coming because I enjoy worshiping with you. Uh, I enjoy the liturgical nature of your worship. Uh, I enjoy the fact that you're Presbyterians with just a touch of uh, Episcopalianism <laughs> somewhere in your DNA. But really, your worship for me is very refreshing and it ministers to me. And so I'm always blessed for the privilege of coming and sharing in the worship with God's people here. It is my delight. Blessed are we who rise early and late, evening and morning, and say twice each day, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, uh, that's what we call the text that we have read because the first word in Hebrew is Shema. Observant Jews recite this text twice daily, once in the morning, once in the evening, because the text itself says when you lie down and when you rise up. The Shema is often the first words that are taught to young Jewish children. And they are often the last words that you will hear on the lips of a dying Jew. Countless, but but countless Jews, when dying in the Holocaust, died with the words of this text on their lips. It is a most sacred text. This text to Judaism is something like the Apostles' Creed to Christianity. 
But it's not only a most sacred text to Jews. It really is a most sacred text to Christians. It's been argued by some, and I buy the argument. Uh, it's been argued by some, and I believe it, that the book of Deuteronomy really is the most important book in the Old Testament. It certainly, in a sense, was Jesus' favorite book, because Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. And once Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus himself quoted the Shema. And so if Deuteronomy is the most important book, and Jesus says this text summarizes the law and the prophets, this truly is a most sacred text to Christians. And it's humbling. (laughs) It's like trying to preach on John 3.16. Sometimes you feel like it's better just to quote the text and say nothing about it. But I'm a preacher, so I'm not going to go that route. But really, when Jesus... Now, this is a softball. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what's the first thing he said? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. If you are reading the Gospel of Matthew... But if you are reading the Gospel of Mark, the first thing Jesus said when asked that question was not love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The first thing Jesus said was hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's why my sermon is called the command before the command. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But God gives us a command that we have to hear before we can love him and before we can love neighbor. And that's our text. Just verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But as a matter of fact, that text is too big for one sermon. So this is part one. Lord willing, I'm coming back in a couple of weeks and we're going to do part two. My text for this morning is simply, Hear, O Israel. We're going to content ourselves with just the first half of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the second half. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So this is a very simple sermon. I only have two points My first point is here. And my second point is Israel. Think you can take that sermon outline home with you and share it with a neighbor. Just two points here and Israel. Let's look at the first point here. Uh, The word in Hebrew is Shema. Everybody say Shema. Shema. And that's why Jews call this text the Shema. Uh, Jewish tradition typically names things after the first word or words. So in Hebrew, the first book of the Bible is, in Hebrew, the first word is Bereshit. And so Jews call the book Bereshit, or in the beginning. Uh, The book of Exodus, the first words are Elishemot, these are the names. And so the book is called These Are the Names. Very simple way of naming things. And the first word in this text is called the Shema, and and so that's what we name the book. The first word is Shema here. But like all words, this Hebrew word Shema has a range of possibilities. It can mean different things. 
For example, green can mean the color, or it can mean inexperienced, or it can mean environmentally friendly. Green can mean a lot of different things. Even the word here in English means different things. Did you hear the doorbell? That's a little bit different than did you hear the news? Because you can hear the news without having your ears affected at all. Uh, they just were not willing to hear my side of the story. Their here means what? They, they weren't willing to... They weren't really they weren't willing to listen and take my side of the story seriously. And that could have been done in written form. So this word can mean a number of things. It can mean here, like, did you hear the doorbell? Genesis chapter three and verse 10. Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden. And so that's just the ordinary form of the word. It's what we normally Think of, but here doesn't Shema doesn't only mean hear in that sense. It can also mean listen. Uh, for example, in Genesis, it says that Rebecca was listening. Now that's different than hearing, right? Because some of you are hearing my voice, but I'm guessing there are some of you who aren't listening. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm okay with that. There, there's a difference, right, between hearing and listening. You can hear something, but listening. That takes intentionality. That's putting your ear you know, out so that you make sure you get every bit of the information. So Shema can mean to hear or it can mean to listen. It can also mean obey. So the mom says to the teenage son, you didn't listen to me. I said, read up your room. And the, the Pittsburghers among us know that expression, yes, to read up the room. I guess it means make it ready or something like that. Clean up. You didn't clean up your room. She's not happy when the son says, I, I, I heard every word you said. Because when she said you didn't listen to me, she didn't mean you didn't hear it. She didn't mean you didn't really hear it, listen to it. What did she mean? You didn't do what? You didn't do it. You didn't obey me. And Shema can mean obey. So it can mean here, it can mean listen, it can mean obey, and it can mean understand. Let's look at one example of this out of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 7. Um, this is the Tower of Babel account. And in Genesis 11, verse 7, God says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not hear each other. The NIV says, so they will not understand each other. The word can mean understand. Or in 1 Kings 3 9. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, we read Solomon's prayer for wisdom Give your servant a Woodenly, give your servant a hearing heart. A hearing heart. The NIV says, give your servant a discerning heart. One that understands how to govern God's people. 
So the Hebrew word Shema, it's an ordinary word. And like most words, it can mean a multiplicity of things. It can mean hear. It can mean listen. It can mean obey. It can mean understanding. But it doesn't mean all of those things in our text. Normally, words don't work that way. What does, what does Shema mean in our text? I don't think it means hear. God is not just saying, I make sure that the, you know, all the little things in your ears are vibrating and converting that energy into electrical charges in the brain. I don't think it means hear, nor does it mean obey. And the reason why it doesn't mean obey is because what follows is not a command. Hear, O Israel, and there's a statement, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, there's nothing there to obey. It doesn't mean hear, it doesn't mean obey, it does mean listen. In this most sacred text, the first thing that God says is listen. Before you can love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, you've got to listen. Before you can love neighbor as you love yourself, you've got to listen. But God doesn't want you just to listen. He wants you to listen with understanding. Listen with understanding. In that text, Proverbs, uh, I mean, 1 Kings 3, 9, give me a listening heart, give me an understanding heart. Uh, Proverbs 4, 1 is a wonderful text that shows us this. Book of Proverbs, fourth chapter, first verse. The wise man says, Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Listening with the purpose of understanding what is said. You know, I mentioned that I love the liturgy that you use. Some people might not appreciate it because some people maybe have come from a liturgical tradition And maybe that liturgical tradition became so rote that there was no understanding. Well, that's not what God's interested in. He wants us to use the Lord's Prayer with understanding. He wants not only our mouths engaged, but our hearts and our minds and our wills and our emotions. (laughs) Listening with understanding. That's what God is saying here when he says, hear, O Israel. There are some things that you have to understand if you're ever going to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. There are some things that you have to understand before you're going to be able to love neighbor as you love yourself. And so the command before the command is to listen. It's not to pray. It's not to talk. God knows we wouldn't probably need a command for that, right? (laughs) That's why the New Testament says, be quick to listen and slow to... Why does the Bible tell us to be quick to listen and slow to speak? Because that's not our natural proclivity, is it? Our natural tendency is to talk. I can't tell you how many times my wife will start to tell me something and she's only halfway through and the next thing I hear hear her say is, listen. Because what am I not doing? I'm not listening. I'm already starting to talk. 
It's just the way we are wired. And so the very first thing, the command before the command is not to pray. It's not to talk. It's not to evangelize. It's not to do deeds of mercy. It's not to sing hymns. It's not to go to worship. The command before the command is to listen carefully with understanding because there are a couple of essential things that God wants us to hear. So my first point is here. What's that mean? Two things. Listen with understanding. That's how this most sacred text begins. The command before the command. Listen with understanding. Now, let's look at the second point. The second point is simply Israel. Listen with understanding Israel. And I want to say just two things about this second half of the text, Israel. First thing I want to say is your name. Your name, Israel. Your name is Israel. Once you were Jacob, and now you are Israel. Once you were Jacob, you were cheater, and that's what your name meant. And you know, name and character is often connected in the Old Testament. You had a brother named Esau, and Esau made the mistake of selling his birthright And then you capitalized on that and you deceived him. You cheated him out of the blessing of the firstborn. And he was angry enough to kill you. And he said, you are just like your name, Jacob, cheater, deceiver. You've cheated me twice. You've deceived me twice. And that's who we used to be. We used to be deceiver. We used to be cheater. Uh, We used to be those who... Who were characterized by rebellion against God, rebellion against God's word. We used to be those who, whose sin merited the, way, the wrath of God as its wage. You used to be Jacob. You used to be cheater. But the text does not say, hear, O Jacob. The text says, hear, O Israel. Because God changed your name. And the reason why God changed your name is because he's changed who you are by definition. And you'll perhaps remember the story. Your brother was so angry at you that he was going to kill you and said, your mom said, you better leave town for a while. And so you went up north, kind of from here, you went maybe to, I don't know, you probably went to Canada. You went there to live with some of your extended family until your brother's anger. Just dissipated some. And you're, you're coming back now because God said it's time to go back. And God has blessed you tremendously. And as you're coming back, there's some people kind of on the front of your community as you're heading back. And they say, we see somebody coming and it's your brother Esau. And you don't know what's up. And so you divide the family in half thinking if he attacks Half will perish and half will escape. And then you by yourself in the middle of the night, you cross over the river. And there you're wrestling all night long with this mysterious figure. A man, the angel of God, God himself. And, um, and at the end of that text, 
the, the angel changes your name and says, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel because you have struggled with God and you have overcome. You have prevailed. Now, when I grew up hearing this story as a kid in Sunday school, I grew up hearing that this was the time when when Jacob finally cried uncle or to make it a little bit more contemporary when Jacob finally tapped out. But the text does not say, I'm going to change your name to Israel because you've struggled with God and you've lost. The text says, I'm making your name Israel because you have struggled with God and you have won. You have prevailed. You're an overcomer. That's your name. You are overcomers. Your name is Israel. Overcomer. And Israel is your name. Little quiz here. When you hear the word Israel, what comes to your mind? I'm guessing that there's one of two answers. When you hear Israel, you're either thinking of people who lived way back then, Old Testament Israel, or you think of people who live way over there, modern day Israel. But I dare say that when you hear the word Israel, what does not come to mind is, that's my name. When you hear the Shema, hear O Israel, you're thinking that was a text for them way back then, or that's a text for them way over there. But do you hear your own name? Israel is your name. Paul in Galatians chapter 3.29 says that we who are united to Christ by grace through faith, we are Abraham's offspring. And later in chapter 6 of Galatians, 6.16, the Apostle Paul says, we who are united to Christ by grace through faith, we are the Israel of God. This is your text. This is your God talking to you. And he's telling you your name. You are overcomer. You are prevailer. And of course, the Apostle Paul says, no, you're not just overcomers. You're not just prevailers. You are more than overcomers. You are more than prevailers. You are more than conquerors because of him who has loved you and lived the perfect life of righteousness for you and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and who's been raised from the dead. I had church this morning coming down. I like to listen to all sorts of different music. And I admit my tastes are a little bit eclectic, but um, a little bit old school. I was listening to the uh, Gaither Vocal Band. And um, I, I, if you've never heard them sing a cappella, Oh, love that will not let me go. That's a must. It is just, just beautiful. But then I was listening to this other uh, rock and roller who was singing uh, a song. I've got a feeling everything is going to be all right. And he talks about Moses when the people were backed up against the Dead Sea. And he talks about how Moses raised his hand. And as he raised his hand, he began to say, I've got a feeling everything is going to be all right. And then he talked about David, little David, fighting mighty Goliath. And when he picked up those stones and put them in the sling, as soon as they left, he began to sing, I've got a feeling everything is going to be all right. 
But then he talks about the fact that there was a time when the demons thought that they had won the war because Jesus was in the grave. But they didn't know that on the first Easter morning, when the earth began to quake and death gave up Christ, then the whole universe began to sing. I've got a feeling everything is going to be all right because Jesus has been raised from the dead. For you, and you are in Him. You are Israel. You are more than conquerors. You are more than prevailers. You are more than overcomers. This is your name. Is this how you view yourself? Or do you view yourself as loser? Or do you view yourself as victim? You are more than conquerors. God is reminding you here that before you can love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, you've got to know who you are. You're His people. You're the sheep of His pasture, as we have read. His goodness and His mercy is going to pursue you all the days of your life. That has to make a difference. We all know that there are valleys that we have to go through, yes or yes. We all know that there are hills that we have to climb, yes or yes. But how do you approach those valleys? What do you do when you're in the middle? What do you do when you don't think you're going to make it over the top to see the other side? You remember that God says, listen carefully and understand who you are. You Sure, you used to be Jacob, but that's not how I view you anymore. You're Israel. You're overcomers. You are prevailers. This text... This word, Israel, it speaks of your name. And it not only speaks of your name, it also speaks of your place. Now, are you listening? Because I'm going to say something that we don't typically hear. Goes a little bit against the grain. But I believe it with all my heart. That when God says here, O Israel, he's saying, It is about you. How often have we heard, it's not about you. How often have we heard in church, forget who you are. This worship service is not about you. It is about God. I'm sorry, it is about you. No, I'm not sorry. It's about you. Because God is covenantal. Can you have a covenant with one party? Impossible. You have to have two. And the covenant is, I will be your God. And you will be my people. And when the, when the creator of heaven and earth, when the savior of the world finally has your attention, and he has finally gotten you to listen carefully so that you can understand what he says, the first thing he does not say is, I. The first thing that he does say is your name. Do you get that? The first thing that comes off of his lips is your name. It is about you. Creation is about you. Now, we could talk a lot about all sorts of things that we disagree on with regard to how to read Genesis 1. There certainly is enough debate in the church. But we all agree on this, that the Bible says that you were created on the sixth day. Yes? Now, you were the very last thing that God created. And the reason for that is obvious. You always save the best for the the last. Does, Does Jesus value the lilies of the field? 
Does Jesus value the birds of the air? But what does he tell you about your relative value? Are you not much more valuable? The whole creation is about you. Uh, there is what scientists call an anthropic, anthropos man. There's an anthropic principle that the whole universe seems to be tuned, finely tuned, so that human beings can be alive on the earth right here and right now. Earth a little bit further away from the sun, too cold. A little bit closer to the sun, too hot. Tilted a little bit more on the axis, too hot in one season, too cold in another. Spinning a little too fast, too much wind, not quite fast enough, not enough wind. The whole thing is finely tuned for you as the image bearers of God. But not only is creation about you, redemption is about you. I quoted John 3.16. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. He didn't send a savior for no reason. He sent a Savior for a reason. He didn't send a Savior for nobody. He sent a Savior for somebody. He sent a Savior for you. Without you, there is no redemptive plan. Redemption is about you. Creation is about you. You are the center of God's creative plan. You are the center of God's redemptive plan. My sermon's over. Just a simple sermon with two things, but it's simple, but I think it's so profound for us that before you can love God and love neighbor, you've got to listen with understanding. And when God has your attention, He simply says your name. And He reminds you of who you are at the core of your being by grace through faith in Christ. You're overcomers. You're prevailers. You're more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. And He tells you of your place in His heart. It's about you. I think I made that point, yes? I've got to make one other point. There's another word that I want you to hear. It's not only about you. And if you want to know what that means, you've got to come back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> because that's the next part of the verse. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. But for now, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, when the Spirit says, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Amen.